0: Live. Live from welcome to This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle. Follow oh, me. Follow oh, me for freedom. <laughs> Here's your host, Mike Mike Phillips. <laughs>
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the episode of the Just Unsuffering Suffering Podcast. New York Sports Hall Long Suffering Fam. your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to talk about the New York Mets today. The Mets had a very, very active winter meeting. They had a lot of moves, a lot of lot of wheeling and dealing from the Billy Epler, Steve Conlon, and Mets. I'm going to be joined today by a friend of the podcast, Tim Ryder of the Apple NYM, the host of the Simply Amazing Podcast. We're going to break all down, all the Mets' big moves, talk all about what they could be up to the rest of the offseason, season. And how it, where it leaves them, you know, heading into 2023. That's going to come up in just a bit. let we'll do our Week 15 NFL picks. I'm going to be joined by Martino Puccio. We talked to him last week at the World Cup. they are going to talk about the NFL. We might get a little soccer of with Martino, too. That's going to be coming up in just a bit. And finally, we'll get to the end of the show for a two-minute drill. But just stick around. i got to talk about a bonehead to pick with some of these athletes who just don't want to admit that they left their old teams because they got paid more money. So, I mean... That's all I got to say about that. We'll get to more of that at the end of the show. If you like hearing the Just and the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform, and follow episodes there. Feel free like your feedback and starring as well. You know, they the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of the conversation with Tim and Martino are going to be on the YouTube channel, again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We'll give you a recap of the winter meetings that happened there right after this.
0: Ready for this? The opening tip.
1: And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. Talk about the winter meetings. They came and went with a lot of activity. Obviously, the match with the headliners, after their inspired response to Jacob DeGrom bolting for the Texas Rangers. We'll get to the DeGrom presser later, how ridiculous that was, but the Mets did pivot pretty quickly. We talked a little bit about Verlander last week. The Mets kept on moving. They had Jose Quintana on a two-year deal that had quality back and the start of the rotation. He ends up placing Taiwan Walker, goes to the Philly on a four-year, $71 million deal. That's actually the second biggest deal for the Phillies at the winter meetings. They signed Trey Turner to an 11-year deal worth $300 million to be their shortstop. And Turner left money on the table. the Padres, apparently offering more to stay out west he wanted to go back east certainly a long-term risk right now as a speed guy first and having 11 years of a speed guy is not great philly obviously inspired though because they made the world series run last year he's a huge shortstop over what like they had so you know what props to the phillies are going for it great job there means also saw aaron judge go back to the yankees on a nine-year 360 million dollar deal after a few hours of fear he balled for the giants remember john hayman's famous arson judge tweet getting close to the giants Ended up not happening. Judges up calling uh, Hal Steinbrenner back and says, hey, like I want to stay here in ninth year. Hal gives it to him. It's an important deal because, yes, the back end can burn you. But if Aaron Judge walked, the Yankees were in deep, deep trouble because there is no realistic way they could replace him. I mean, signing Brandon Nimmo is not exactly a good replacement for Aaron Judge. Signing Carlos Correa is not exactly a good replacement for Aaron Judge. Keeping him here, big deal. Yankees did end up losing James Antion, though, the starter. It's a four-year deal worth $68 million with the Chicago Cubs, so Yankees right now are relatively stable, but they still could use another starting pitcher. So they're actually able to pull off Carlos Rodon, who they are reportedly talking to as of recording time. The Padres, with a high bid on both Judge, who apparently they offered $400 million to, and Trey Turner, both got spurned on geographic references. They pivot by signing Xander Bogart's 11-year deal worth $280 million. It's a massive overpay as well. I mean, giving him that much money seems insane. Padres didn't want one of the big short sides to take a shift for Antasch Jr. into center field when he returns from the suspension. And give him credit. They're going for it. the top of that lineup right now, you got uh, Bogarts. You got Tatis when he comes back. You got uh, Manny Machado, Juan Soto. That's a as good a top four as you can anybody in the league can throw out there. All the owners, I you know I hear a lot of sticker in the background like, how the Padres have as much money, where's the money coming from, look at this for a second, look how full their park was down the stretch here, they are selling tickets in droves, they are selling merchandise in droves, they are trying to win a World Series now, and they put an attractive proc in the field, and the fans are showing up in droves, you spend money to make money, what a concept in 2022, Hopefully more of these cheap wads actually after realizing, you know, we should go get these big free agents because that would make baseball more exciting if there are more teams competing for the top guys as the Mets, the Padres, the Yankees, and so on and so forth. The highlight of the meetings, though, were the Mets. They didn't spend after they left San Diego. Brandon Nimmo back, eight-year deal with $162 million. And David Robertson for one year, $10 million to bolster the bullpen. They wrapped the week by adding Japanese ace Kodai Senga on a five-year deal worth $75 million to bolster the starting rotation here. So very productive winner for for the Mets. They spent just just under $360 million last week. So Yankees got Aaron Judge, $360 million. Mets got five players, $360 million. They said they made their team better, but how much did they actually improve? We will talk about that with Tim Ryder of the Apple blog right after... This.
0: Meet the Mets, meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life because the Mets are really sucking the ball.
1: All right, back here talking Mets on the podcast. Had a very, very busy offseason for them. A lot of names coming and going here. Join me today to break it all down. Good friend of the podcast. He has his own Mets blog, the Apple NYM. He's also the host of the Simply Amazing podcast. Uh, Tim Ryder is here. Tim, how are you?
2: Doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me back.
1: Um, nice to come back on here. And I got to say, my head's sort of still spinning in terms of all the things that have happening with the Mets in the offseason here. What's your general take on, on the work
2: they've done over the last like month and a half? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it, it's one thing to, I guess, internally keep themselves up to snuff where they want to be. It's another to keep themselves up with the rest of the National League East, the rest of the National League in general, whatever else the rest of the league is doing, if this team really has uh, aspirations of winning a World Series. And um, as of right now, I think that they're, they are, they've are they gone above and beyond.
1: Yeah, they certainly have. I feel like this is all triggered, I think, again, by uh... – so, like, last year when Stephen and Matt spurning them and going to the Cardinals for the deal sort of got Steve Con angry starting this big spanking spree. I think the big thing we hear was Jacob DeGrom leaving for Texas, and specifically that press conference we had where he was talking about how they had this great World Series vision for the 68-win team. So, what's your reaction to all of that? <laughs> well,
2: um, I think it's going to take some time. I do think that Texas has a – they do have a vision. I, I do think that they have a, a solid core that they're spending a lot of money on. Um, you know, it, I it, in the division that they're in, I, I don't think it's going to be an overnight success. I do think that they have the foundation in place. But, um, yeah, I think Bruce Bochy leading the way is going to be good for them. I think the offense that they have is going to be good for them. And, of course, a, a pitcher like Jacob DeGrom heading up the rotation is going to be huge. Uh, I think it's going to be up to them to, you know, do what they can to try to move ahead of the, the Angels, the the Mariners and and hopefully contend with the Astros.
1: Yeah, I mean the way I sort of see it is, look, I said this before. I said it's like you know what, like this is like a nobody's wrong situation here. I say you know what, like good, like he has the right to leave. He's right to go pay all he wants and go play in Texas if he wants. And the Mets probably the smart choice not to give him the contract that Texas did. But to me, the thing that bothers me is like, don't sit here and tell us that the vision of the Texas Rangers won 68 games better than the vision of the Mets won one hundred and one. That doesn't that doesn't fly for me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it certainly seems like he did he, he wanted to move on from New York and again that's that's his prerogative, that's his decision. Um, you know, I, I think for the last few years he's been generally open about oh, I, I'd like to you know, I think it would be cool to stay with one team his whole career and and uh you know, I guess a lot of people did not expect Jacob deGrom to be leaving Flushing this this winter, but he did and I think the Mets had to pivot and, and they've done so really, really well.
1: It certainly has. start with the, pit, the big pivot here where they go replace Jason DeGrom, take the only way they could. They get Justin Verlander on this two-year deal for $86.6 million. I guess the same AAV as Max Scherzer and now. You have the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner top in the rotation with Max Scherzer in New York. What do you think about the Verlander signing?
2: Oh, I mean, that that's huge. I, I don't think the Mets could have gone any other way considering they had to fill such a big hole in Jacob DeGrom's absence. And uh you know it, it, yeah sure Justin Verlander's 39 going on 40 coming off of Tommy John surgery two years ago but you couldn't tell if you looked at his if you looked at his uh, statistics uh, he's absolutely at the top of his game he's he's uh, a Hall of Fame pitcher as long as he can stay fresh and stay healthy he's going to be effective and that's um, just a, a wonderful way to kind of just seamlessly glide into the next chapter of whatever this Mets rotation is going to be. Um, sure. It's a lot of money, but I, I think if you, you know, if you're the Mets and if you have the money to spend and if you do have certain goals that you have to reach and certain, you know, I guess marks that you have to hit to keep up, then yeah, you have to go all out. Yeah, I feel like the
1: common thing I like here is obviously win now team. He's the most win now fit in terms of replacing the on the team. Plus like, they love these high-average salary short-term deals. They, the real, they sort of reset their books every few years, and this sort of fits that bill, too.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it lowers the risk with a, an aging pitcher who, you know, and this group kind of goes for anybody. It's not just a, just Justin Verlander. It's not just a Max Scherzer. It's not just a, um, you know, 37, 38-plus-year-old pitcher. Um, everybody can, you know, Stay healthy. I mean, for everyone, it's a challenge to stay healthy, and uh, I think the Mets did a real good job of limiting their risk in the case of a of a going on forty year old pitcher. Um, and they have the depth to kind of work with that as well. And of course, they've added to it too. Yeah, they certainly
1: have. Here. I want to talk about the one who was sort of flew to the radar here because it came in between all the signs Here it was this trade they swung with Tampa Bay to get. Lefty Brooks rally for the bullpen in exchange for prospect uh, Keyshawn Askew here. So, what do you think about this move? Because it gives them. A, like, I mean, they lost Joey Rodriguez. This feels like an upgrade to that on that lefty component of the bullpen here.
2: Sure, I mean, Joey Rodriguez. He was really. I liked him as a reliever. I think that he was more effective versus right-handers than he was against left uh, against lefties, and I think that kind of goes back to the Mets never really replacing Aaron Loop a couple of uh off seasons ago and they were kind of grasping at straws at times hoping to find a i don't want to say a loogie but someone who could consistently keep lefties at bay and from from all accounts i don't know much about rayley or rally um but from, from all accounts he's going to be uh, a useful cog in the in the bullpen um he can get lefties out and you just kind of have to hope for the best. Personally, I don't know much about him. I didn't know much about Askew either. Uh, you know, from what I'm hearing, Askew was a, a high A pitcher with a reasonably high ceiling. But there's still so you know so far to go before they can hit this level. And you know, for the Mets to fill a need with a with a a high A lower level prospect, I think that's a that's a home run for them.
1: Yeah, it is here, and now let's get to some of the other big uh signs here. They start out here bringing Jose Quintana two years, 26 million dollar deal here, and a reliable back rotation guy. He's a ton of starts here. He had the resurgent year after struggling in 20 and 21. He comes back with the Pirates and Cardinals and ends up starting for the Cardinals big guys down the stretch. You think about the Quintana move,
2: love it, absolutely love it. I think this is an upgrade to the back of the Mets full uh, time, the back of the Mets rotation from where it was, and that's. Not necessarily a knock on Carlos Carrasco or uh, or Taiwan Walker, um, and I still think Carrasco can be a useful piece in this rotation too. But I think Quintana almost usurps Carrasco out of the, the top three uh, or even the fourth. I mean, you could be looking at the rotation, and, and as far as production value, it's very it's 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 very easy to think that Quintana could end up with a better you know, with a more productive season than Carrasco does. And that's not a knock. I think that's just how the cookies crumble. (laughs) No pun intended in Carrasco's case. But, (laughs) um, you know, I think that having a group of good pitchers is going to, that internal competition that we've seen happen a bunch of times, whether it's on the pitching side, whether it's on the positional side, I think it's going to let the, staff really grow. It's kind of, you're going to have your two top dogs leading the way in Verlander and Scherzer and everyone's kind of, you know, going to want to keep up, going to want to keep, you know, keep stay Yeah. Stay effective. And I really do think it's going to work out well. And, and Quintana is like a glue piece in all of it.
1: Yeah. I think I love about him, especially with the serum. You have two older guys, to top rotation years back. And he really makes like at least like 28 starts, which every year he's in the rotation full time. That's something I think that can be very useful for the Mets
2: oh sure and he's not a strikeout guy he's pitching to contact and i think that you know that suits this especially you know this defense the Mets defense is terrific um it's gonna it's gonna play to that um you know you don't need to go out and strike out 200 guys uh, a year and um in the case of quintana i mean he's not uh I, there were a couple of seasons there he i think it looked like he was really going for high strikeouts and uh I mean, as you can see, his his numbers really didn't reflect that. And once he got back to basics last year, I mean, he put up a two point nine three ERA. Four win season was you know higher than he's uh, excuse me more productive than he's been since probably the 2017, 2016 season. Uh, yeah, big year for him.
1: Yeah, and the big move here, I think this is the string that started after the uh, the Grandfra press conference here. The one that came out of nowhere, just sort of surprised, I think everybody in the Met world, is that we heard rumors that Brand Nemo was gone, biggest market on baseball, Giants, like, Penn here <laughs> at to Aaron Judge goes. All of a sudden, we hear he's back eight years, $162 million. What's your reaction to that contract?
2: Well, I actually, you know, when the numbers were getting thrown out that, you know, there was teams in on Nemo for six years and 20, 25 million, 27 million, I was a little hesitant. Um, I really was you know, he's had injury issues and whether they were major or not, um, you know, there's no question that when Brandon Nimmo is healthy, he's one of the most productive position players in baseball. No question. You just have to keep him on the field. And it it always seems to be little things, a bunch of like finger injuries and stuff like that. That neck injury was really, really concerning, but he's really seemed to move past that. And he's, becomes such a great fielder and his offense just continues even when he's not going up there um, looking for walks you know it, it it's almost like he's he's out there doing exactly what the team needs him to do i think we saw it so many times last year where you know first inning uh, of a game he's going to look at three four pitches he doesn't care if he's going to put a in in a two strike hole because he's going to let his teammates get a good look at the guy ahead of him and hopefully go from there. But then, you know, he can put himself in a hole and still get on base or draw a walk. Doesn't matter if he's, you know, one in two, he could, all right, guys, I got it from here. Let's, let's go ahead and get things into gear. And he can, um, yeah, the strides that he's made, the progress that he's made as a player. And now being able to bring him in the fold sure, it's for a long time, but you're getting them through the prime of his career and, you know, at twenty million a year, it's a lot more palatable than twenty five, and it also gives them Mets, you know, I don't want to say financial flexibility because they really don't need that anymore, but it gives them the ability to maybe shuffle money around and earmark something for somebody that maybe wasn't earmarked before. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think it does. I do think in terms of the also the win now mentality, like. This is a guy, yes, the the years are longer you wanted to do and the money is high, but like if they were gonna win this year, they did not really have a choice at to other than to bring Nimbo back because our other options are basically either moving Mar Starling Marte to center field at thirty four, which was asking for a lot of injury risks, or emptying your farm system to go and get somebody like Brian Reynolds. I don't think they want to do that either. Like if it, the choice is money over years or you know, trying to tr- 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 projects for a guy like Reynolds, I'd rather just pay the money.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, when it was, when it was getting up to a higher AAV, um, I was a little hesitant and I was kind of talking myself into, well, you know, Nemo's going to be 33, 34 in a few years anyway. What's, what's the, what's the, you know, there's not a big problem moving a a, a veteran, you know, a, a decent veteran outfielder into center field if he's capable. Um, I was prepared for it. And again, if Nimmo gets hurt, you have to think that Mark is going to be your center, f- his center fielder, but um, yeah, it, just the, the way that everything kind of came together and the way that they were able to lower the AAV and lengthen the years, it, it, it works out for everybody. And, and as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be one of the, he's a run machine, whether he's scoring runs, producing runs, creating runs, he's a run machine. It's, it's, um, it's uncanny. I think he can finish, you know, his Mets career, which he's going to finish as a Met, most likely, um, as one of the, you know, the, the, the better offensive players in franchise history, and I, that's probably not even exaggeration. He's he's on that track.
1: Yeah, he certainly is. He, uh, going out of the bullpen from back to the bullpen again because. The other one, sort of snuck in right behind him, was David Robertson, a one-year, ten million dollars deal, know a lot of Mets fans were upset they didn't get up the trade deadline. He helped the Phillies <laughs> down the stretch here. Now he's here as the primary bridge to Edwin Diaz. I think this is also a very strong move.
2: Absolutely, I wouldn't actually. I wouldn't mind adding another true eighth inning setup type person just to really lengthen out that that bullpen, give it a lot of experience depth. And you know Robertson's still at the top of his game. I think he's going to segue perfectly into those, into those back innings. Um, I said it on Simply Amazing yesterday, talking with uh, with Sharma. Uh, excuse me, Taryn Sharma, my co-host. And I wouldn't be against bringing Trevor May back if he's interested in in, in a reunion. Um, I think that he would bridge those seventh and eighth innings really, really well. I think that he can probably, you know. Come on board at a, at a very reasonable um, price point. and And, uh, you know, by all accounts, again, outside perspective, it looked like May was genuinely happy in New York. And I really think that uh, if they have the opportunity to add more Robertson-like depth into that back end, it's just going to make them just that much more better of a team.
1: Yeah, I also love the fact that like you bring Robertson, you know, he can do it in this in this market. It's not something you can always guarantee for relievers. Um. Yeah. Oh,
2: absolutely. And and with a guy like Robertson who's proven and he's still effective and he's still got that fire to him and he's still able to get big outs in big spots. I mean, you saw it in the postseason. You know, that's just invaluable to a, to any ball club. Being that it's the Mets, I mean, for a Mets fan, it's even better.
1: Yeah, it certainly is here, and obviously the, the big surprise also came on uh, Saturday night, late in the night here, that the Mets do pull off the move they don't really do very often. They go into the uh, Japanese free agent market, They sign Kodai Senga to a five-year, $75 million deal, lower AAV than what Tyon Walker gets and what Chris Bats ends up getting here. The thing I love about this deal is obviously this is a market they don't exploit enough. They, never, they sort of abandon on the Pons of the Kazmat Sui flame out here, and... I love that this this guy wanted to come here, wanted to embrace analytics and improve his game. And I feel like as a number three, this is a lot less pressure on coming to the big city year. And like, this is a chance to be a real home run for the Mets if they can develop this
2: guy correctly. Oh my goodness. Huge. All right. So just the, the price point alone is terrific. And you look at his his stuff, his metrics. And of course it's in the, the, the Japanese uh, central and Pacific leagues, but you know, you look at, what he's doing and his repertoire is a pitcher. He's hitting one Oh two, one Oh three with his fastball. He's got a ghost fork ball. It comes off like a splitter, but he almost, he, he kind of pronates his arm when he throws it like a changeup. So it's dipping like a splitter. It's moving like a changeup and it's not like, like the, the, the rotation of the pitch is Unlike most, unlike anything, most major league hitters have seen. It's going to take a lot of adapting and adjusting um you know with the stuff that he has he should be a really really big strikeout threat in japan he wasn't that guy as much i mean and you know he, he's striking out nine ten batters uh per nine in japan but those are hitters with approaches more geared towards contact you bring in a guy like senga into the major leagues where hitters are very power happy they're very Launch angle friendly and everyone's got holes in their swings. if he has the command and control that people think he does and he's able to I guess translate that to the majors, I think he he could honestly have number two type ceiling written all over, and if the Mets bring him in, we're able to brought bring him in for you know five years seventy five million, and he has that type of ceiling this could be one
1: of the better signings in recent Mets history. Yeah, for sure here. I mean, they spent a lot of money. They spent $360 million last week. I think it's about four sixty-two. when you add Edwin Diaz in for what he did early in the offseason here. And there's a lot of like people like on the Twitter vacuum going, oh, the Mets spent a lot of money they're the exact same team. They haven't improved at all. Do you agree with that comparison? you think they've actually found ways to improve the roster?
2: I think they have. I think they are improving the roster. Um, I think that, they they had to pivot in the ways that they did. I'm sure that they had a plan heading into the offseason, those plans changed. And, you know, being back on solid footing is one thing. Being where they are now, I think that's another. And um I think they have improved. I, I you know, winning hundred and one games, you don't do that just with a roster. You need a lot of breaks during the season. You not 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 like rest breaks, but you need to like catch a lot of breaks. You need to you know, there's gotta be luck involved. It's gotta be involved. It's got to be, you know, injury and health. Um, I guess avoiding those things, you know, there's a lot, it's almost like a perfect storm. Um, You know, look at the Mets. They were a hundred one win team, but you know, you look at them from September 1st on last year and they weren't that team. Uh, You know, if you want to replicate what they did last year, I mean, you can, Try picking that apart until the cows come home. I don't think he ever really will. As long as the Mets stay competitive and stay in the mix and keep themselves, you know, with momentum towards their goal, I mean, it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter the personnel, but as long as they're able to hit the marks that they thought they were last year internally, and that's on every different facet, whether it's on a a player to player comparison, whether it's just on a value comparison. Oh, Hey, we got, we got this much out of this guy last year. If we can get, you know, this much out of these two this year and kind of replace that, that value, you know, it it should put you in the same spot. But again, this is all how the, how the thing, how everything's kind of going to unravel throughout the season. I think the Mets are putting themselves in a really, really good position to, succeed and to hopefully put themselves back on track to, you know, being another, you know, heavy duty competitor in the national league or in the major leagues. But um, yeah, I, I do think that they're, they still have, I guess I would say they still have a couple of pieces. They probably have to add, but yeah, I'm, I'm very comfortable with what they've done so far. And I think that they are well on their way to staying just as competitive as, as they have been. Sorry if we got a little long-winded there, yeah. but it's kind of a deep question.
1: Yeah, it kind of is. I do think, I agree You do have a couple more pieces to add. I do think that the heavy lifting is probably done here. I don't I don't think they're going to be surprising as a Carlos Correa contract out of nowhere here. I do think that, like, <laughs> I think that more likely their moves are probably going to be, you know, maybe you know, add another arms that bowl like you were talking about earlier. I could see also a fourth outfield type being in there, so maybe somebody could play center if feel like an Adam Duval. What do you think you'd like to see them do to sort of wrap up their season?
2: Yeah, I would like to see um, another. I, I would love to see some more pop in their lineup. I don't know how they're going to achieve that at this point. But, you know, even if. I think Francisco Alvarez, um, having him as your right handed DH, and whether Rollback is your left handed DH or whatever the case may be, I think those two as a tandem could potentially add more power to a lineup throughout a, a full season. But I think they need more than that, I think adding a corner outfielder who can, of course, feel the position, but can also add a little pop would be big. Um, I'm not necessarily advocating for Nelson Cruz. He's up in his forties, but if a guy like Nelson Cruz is out there, who I, I don't even really have a, a real comparison, but who can give you at bats, even as a DH, even as a pinch hitter. I know that that buck didn't really, uh, Employ much of a pinch hitting approach last year, but with the DH, I guess that's to be expected. But, you know, if Nelson Cruz is still hitting the tar out of the ball, I wouldn't be opposed to something like that, even as just a guy on the bench. Um, I think the Mets just, you know, they need that. That was one of the dynamics they didn't have last year. And I think extra or added power kind of has to be a priority, even if they're going through depth additions, even if they're not adding a big, big, big addition they have to bring in people who can add that dynamic. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I hear what you mean, Tim. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, we people people on social media, keep up with uh, all your Mets coverage.
2: Oh, cool. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me, man. I, I truly have a great time whenever I spend time with you here. And you can find me on Twitter. It's Timothy R Ryder. That's R-Y-D-E-R. Uh, the Apple is at TheAppleNYM. That's on Twitter. Uh, you find all of our links there. And simply amazing pod. You find that anywhere you're listening to podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you just pop it into Google, you'll find us. And uh, everything's you know free to subscribe. Come join the party, and, uh, and we hope to see you uh, to see it coming this season. We're going to have some big news on our end. Absolutely,
1: Tim. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate
2: it. Uh, thank you, Mike. Show me the money
0: all
1: right show me the money nfl picks for week 15 here on the pocket just four weeks left in the regular season believe it or not our jets are still in the playoff on at this point join me today to do the picks uh talked to him last he got the world cup he's back to do some picks Martina puccio is here martino how are you
3: Good, good. Um, just two more games left in the World Cup, and actually went by a, little, a lot faster than I wanted it to, and uh, it's been top tier. It doesn't get better than it's been uh, this tournament.
1: Well, the bright side is, you know, they having to started late because of the Cotter thing, you know, that you have 2026 that much sooner.
3: Yeah, no, I was thinking of that too, and honestly, um, we're a year and a half away from Euro 2024, and then Copa America will be right here. There's There's so much, and then we just get right back into the the club season. So no, it's a, it's a ton of money and qualifiers happen immediately. So the qualifiers as well, like it's, it's actually good international play and stuff. That's actually interesting.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about the jets a little bit here because last week the jets, like went to Buffalo, mm-hmm. fought hard, ended up losing the bills, 20 to 12, some key injuries, like short circuited them in this game, some key misplays. What was the big takeaway from the jet bill game?
0: Um,
3: Jets lost the game that they were supposed to lose. And they, I, I don't take away anything from Mike White, maybe a little bit, just like more, he's a tougher guy, but I, I don't rate him more because of that. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he's better because he got, you know, hit incredibly hard and came back in the game and did okay. Like, they're hurting at running back. Like, it's, it's so, like, you could like Zonovan Knight all you want. You could like Michael Carter all you want. But when their roles are magnified like this, it's going to hurt them. Um, their tight ends have been so subpar. To be honest with you, um, they've had their moments here and there, but it's just it's not enough for them to take the next level. And the offensive line was terrible. I'll say that the like the one thing that like really disappointed me: offensive line terrible. Defense stepped up on the road against a really good offense, and they did their part. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I I think I think they did enough. And then again, if we're really just gonna sit here and say the Jets should have done very well the past two games, like everyone would have chalked them up as losses and they weren't even bad losses either. I, to me, to me, it was like they lost the team with the best record in the NFL. Then they went to one of the, you know, AFC favorites behind Kansas city and they just lost barely and they beat them when they faced them. And now they're coming in at this number just because Detroit's played a couple of good games like, the Jets have been great all season long. Like, what are we basing this off of? Like, Williams just got back. Like, if, if the Jets' pass I mean, um, pass protection is as bad as it was last game, then I understand where this is coming from. But are they really going to play as bad as they did in Buffalo at home against the Lions? Lions have a good defensive line, but I think this is kind of greatly exaggerated yeah. on, on all fronts. Like, you know, not even just the the spread. Yeah. I mean,
1: you mentioned too, I mean, they, they lost two games. Everybody like looking at these situations, they, Oh, you know, going on the road against one of the NFC's best teams, against the top team in the AFC. You would have said, okay, you know, if, if this is a team that, you know, struggles and gets themselves in trouble early, like they lose big, that could happen. But, you know, the jets end up, you know, losing both games in one possession. They fight back in these games. Not at like the giants across town who play a team that was much better than the Eagles got their ass completely handed to them.
3: They, I mean, the giants, have been Fugazi from the start and the season was more about questions than answers. One of the questions that I think is being answered is that they do have a head coach. um, That's good. So Dable's done that, but look at all the question marks. Saquon, you can't sign him. You can't even tag him. I like, forget about just even what he's doing when he's on the field. Just he's not healthy again. The guy's still missing time. I'm sorry. Like, that's – what kind of gamble is worth that? Their their wide receivers are still bad. Um, their tight ends, what? I mean, there's nothing of note. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, Slayton is, is mediocre. And then Daniel Jones, now you have to worry about paying him when it's a great quarterback draft and you just got your GM, you just got your head coach. Let him get their guy. Like, what are they going to do with DJ here? Try and, try and franchise tag DJ and trade him then. You know, maybe some team takes a gamble. Uh I, I think the Giants are just something that is it's a it's a much deeper rooted issue than a lot of people want to admit. This isn't a one or two year turnaround. Um, it's gonna be something similar to what the Jets did. Uh they have more, they have more like on paper, um, in general, had more talent than when the Jets had like had Joe Douglas first arrive. But Mike, I mean, come on, like what a they're, they're they're nothing special. This was an overachieving first like ten weeks of the season, and that's it. Yeah, I mean they have they still have
1: path to playoffs. The Jets do too. I mean, looking at it right now, they're seven and six. Last four games: home Detroit, home Jacksonville, at Seattle, at Miami. All four games they're capable of winning here, especially considering the struggles the Dolphins have had lately here. Like, what do you think the number is then, to get to the? Playoffs? I think it's ten. They have to go three
3: and one here over the next four. And. um, yeah, I mean, let's let's see, because I have, I want to see if my odds change, by the way, because I took us to make the playoffs a few weeks ago. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Sorry, my computer is being a bit slow, so I'll pull it up on my phone. But I, I've i actually believed in them and their path. The, the only game I was truly worried about that I feel like they would have lost that I was unsure about is the away to Miami and probably Seattle because of just how weirdly good Gino Smith is this year. So anyways, yeah. I took him to make the playoffs on November 9th. So this is over a month ago already that I did this. Um yeah, I do like it, man. I think I think in a game when you play in the Miami Dolphins, I you tell me if you disagree, wouldn't this wouldn't this be more pressure on Miami and Tua? Oh yeah, especially when they're like, home. Like the Jets to me, I I feel like they're playing with house money. Seriously. Like what like what's the what's the worst that people could say here? Like they find out about their quarterbacks and they're ahead of schedule with the roster and what and the types of players that they drafted and the, and they say like they they messed up, they could just still try and get another quarterback. Like there's guys in free agency. What the Jets have done here is built a foundation that's going to be the best roster since the 98 team. To be honest with you, if, I, if everyone comes back healthy and they still have some money to spend, that's up there with 1998's complete roster. I don't think that the 9 or the 2010 team had as much talent on both sides like this. No way, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the guys on offense are way more talented. Um, but, yeah, like the Jets, to me, it's still house money. Um, I think they're being undervalued with the Lions. I think the Jaguars game is going to be tough and intense. Um, but I think they pull that out. The Seattle one is really the tricky one. The last, like the Seattle and Miami games are both road games. They've been a good road team all year, but are there? But is Seattle Seattle's still one of the toughest places to play in the NFL? And that's late into the season, and they're in the playoff hunt. So like, yeah. But does does Seattle worry you more? I don't know. I still think Miami terrifies me because that's just like last week playoff spot on the line like we've beaten them twice or we beat them at home but that was without Tua like how do we do against Tua but yeah two things about that here one I think one of those two
1: games gonna be flex Sunday football I'm calling that right now I do think like (laughs) both either Miami or Seattle one of those two games will be in the Sunday night slide I think that's gonna happen in games I think number two here if I like here is that the Jets have done well this year and they play played teams with suspect defenses. But the elite defenses need to shut them down because, they, again, that's where having, not having the top-flight quarterback really hurts you here. Sure. But looking at Detroit, sure. Jacksonville, Miami, Seattle, all these are elite defenses. So this, this makes me very confident the Jets can find three way four three out of four here.
3: I don't know. I feel like the run game is going to hurt them more than some people want to admit. And at that point, Mike White has to step up. I think he's just scary because he's a big question mark. They're like... They're not the worst performances in the world, but something about the red zone play worries me a little bit. And if we don't have great running backs, that's going to be tougher to punch that into the end zone, Um, you know, like just simply on how your defense can line up. Like you're a lot more confident of stopping Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight than you are of Brees Hall. Uh, You know, it's 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 worrisome. It is. I think, I think Mike's got to just prove a lot on the line here. And then, like, also, like, say we do lose, okay, against uh, the Lions, and he plays really poorly. I think the question comes back again about Zach Wilson. Do I want Zach Wilson to? I don't know. But, like, I I think they have to make a decision soon on to say the rest of the season this is our quarterback. This can't be, like, you know, I'm not saying that, like, that they have alluded to or have not alluded to that, I think they need to put a, put it firmly down because, like, they did leave it open to interpretation that Zach could play quarterback again this season. And if you don't completely shut that down, then it it, it still leaves that kind of controversy. I'm sure they know within the locker room, but that kind of sits uneasy with me.
1: Yeah, let's talk about this game here at the Lions here, because obviously right now coming in, this started out here, Jets favored by a point, quickly flipped to the Lions being favored. Hmm. I think it's high two high two and a half, swung back the other way. Now the Jets laying the point here. I think this is, again, a case you made it several point times here, I agree with you. I think the Jet body works being
3: undervalued here and Detroit's reason Hodgkin's being severely overvalued. I think, I think there has not been a better team to bet on. This is just like strictly trying to be unbiased than the Jets this season. I've taken I've taken them almost every single time to cover. I didn't this past week because I didn't like it. The the last number I saw was like six and a half. I just I didn't trust them in the bad weather over there. Um, but it moved to nine and a half at one point, but I didn't bite on that, unfortunately. I think I think we covered honestly. Like Jared Goff is gonna have to deal with our defense. Why is that not a talking point? You know, I don't care how his season's going. That's our defense is probably one of the best he's going to be facing and it's on the road. So we're just going to assume that Jared Goff is going to do this to us after they lost their starting tight end. When tight ends are an issue for us, it's easier for our defense to game plan now. Okay, so so then what Detroit's this is just a. this number is strictly about them thinking Detroit's front seven is going to roast Mike White. And I'm sorry, I just don't know why that's like a guaranteed thing to make this number so close. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I I think minus one Jets was a great bet to take, and plus one Jets was an even greater bet to take. I I think this. I think it's bullshit to be honest. I'm sorry to curse. I just think this is just classic. Like people aren't respecting the Jets here, and I also think the public is going against the Jets now too. I'm not. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it certainly feels like it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of money on the Lions based on the fact that it swung so quickly and then it went back. And I'm sure a lot of sharps jumped on the Jets.
3: Yeah, I mean, just this is – I I have not been that confident in a couple of the numbers this year, but this is by far the most.
1: Yeah, we'll get to the picks in a minute here. Speak to uh, what happened in the pick channel last week. Our friend from Iona, Sandra Rose, was here last week. She actually went 3-0 on her picks. She, she took the Rams game to 6, the Eagles laying 6.5 against the Giants. Four Niners laying three and a half against the Broncos, so a perfect three and a week.
3: Go, go, Sam, go!
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was not that lucky. I went one and two. My one wing was on the Jets. I took them. At, I got in on the nine and a half. So I, okay, okay,
3: okay. My yes. friend did as well. I was yeah. very happy for him when the safety happened. Yes, yeah, so I got
1: in on that one. I got. I, I had the Chiefs laying. On. I was looking good for about a half, and they forgot to play football for a qu- for two quarters, and I lost that one. <laughs> And then I had the Dolphins laying a three, and they laid an egg in
3: San Diego and LA against the Chargers. So one and two for me in the week. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, Miami. Oh man, what a what a narrative talking game that was, huh? Oh, yeah. Wait, Emmanuel. Acho, uh Acho. Sorry. Yep. Um, all right. You want to get into mine then?
1: Yeah, one second. It's gonna be the reset for the year. The year the Challenger over 500, 21, 21. I'm 17 and 25. Had a rough year, Martino.
3: We've all been there. It's okay. Yeah. Plenty of ground to make up. There's that extra week for a reason.
1: Yep, there is. So we're going to get started here. So we're going to dive into the picks. So the guys, you can go first. Where are you going to pick number one?
3: Um pats over the Raiders um this minus one number is kind of puzzling to me I think at this point the Patriots defense has hit their stride and Belichick versus Josh McDaniels is just a complete outmatch of each other I don't care how well Josh knows everything um he's still not close to what Bill does and and, and it's always next man up for New England and, and I think they had a great victory just last night and I think they're ready to go again
1: yeah, the thing that scares me about this number is back as being minus, like there's only minus one here is that, yeah, the Patriots did lose Ramondre Stevenson. And the Raiders have been, you know, feisty at times. You think they're not going to be show up for a game Also, they come out and win here. This is for me is a stay away.
3: I respect it. I respect it. Do you want me to move on to the next one? Sure. We're going to pick two. Ah man, man, oh man, oh man. This is so it's it's so weird for me, but I think Jaguars uh, plus four and a half. Um, something feels like this this number for the Cowboys is just kind of hesitant because they were close last week but i do think Jacksonville's a lot tougher than people want to admit trevor lawrence has hit a stride recently um but this i think this one's just going to be very close overall this isn't about you know a team winning by 10 to me i don't think the jaguars win this but i think they keep it close within four and a half I'll, I'll, i'll take that with the way they're playing
2: Yeah, and
1: we saw last week how the Cowboys like to play with their food, especially with the Texans, where they let them hang around the entire game. And with the Eagle game working on the Saturday afterwards on Christmas Eve, you could see Dallas again trying to look ahead to Philly and kind of forgetting to play for half a game.
3: I mean, listen, man, it's just at this point, I think they're fool's gold as well. I think the real team is the team that went into the the Meadowlands and and absolutely destroyed the Giants, which is kind of my segue to the next one. Um, The Bears are just running out of steam here. Honestly, I think the best case scenario is just you hope Justin Fields doesn't get a terrifying injury. Um, For me, Hertz has got to be MVP at this point. Minus line is large. But when you kinda of see the way Chicago is, I don't I, I don't see this going well for them. I think I think they're totally disastrous.
1: Yeah, this one I was very tempted by. I did not want to touch the nine on the road, which is why I didn't go there. But I don't blame you here because the bear defense we saw Mike White light them up. They're a joke. And Jalen Hurst can put up like thirty five on them very easily.
3: Yeah, and, and again, it's you have Dallas in their rearview mirror. This isn't a locked-up division yet. This is a must-win game for the Eagles, and, and the Bears are one of the weaker teams that they'll be facing, so I, I really do like them here. I know 9 scares away a lot of people, but just like Kansas City's getting 14 despite what we just saw last week, so uh, and despite if it's Houston or not, I just the way they played and the way Houston were keeping within that game, I, do, I mean, listen, they easily could cover it because Mahomes is God, but listen, I mean, just the difference in between how the two teams have been playing five points is a lot. it's a lot. So just the way the market is for a couple other teams here, I like it.
1: All right, you're you're on the board. I'm up now. Pick one. I'm gonna take our Jets laying the point at home against the Lions for all the reasons we talked about earlier here. This is a spot where again, Jared Goff is two best events he played this year against the Cowboys and the Patriots. The Lions scored combined six points. Five teams they've beaten in this stretch here. The best one in the bunch was besides besides Minnesota was the Giants, who we described as fraudulent here. They have not beaten a lot of great competition here and coming off that big emotional win at home and go on the road i see this being a spot where they lay an egg i think the jets win this game by a touchdown give me the jets pick one
3: yeah um listen you said everything i basically said but you you were you were so much more angrier about it and i love that yeah. um but yeah, you're right though. Every single point. It's just, this is a this is a spot that we know the Jets would let down in if they were the Lions. And the Lions are basically the Detroit Jets. So I, I see where you're coming from uh, with that as well. I think the Lions let everybody down.
1: All right, pick two. This line is very fishy based on the forms of these two teams of late. But I'm going to hammer the Bengals getting three and a half in Tampa against the Buccaneers. This Duck in your team is absolute garbage. They went on the road and got dominated by Brock Purdy last week. And this team is completely buried. The only reason they're alive is their division is trash. And Cincinnati is peaking right now. They are playing very well. They are trying to separate from Baltimore in the AFC North here. I think this, this line's too low. I think it's just the Tom Brady getting respect the home factor. I think you look at the two teams, take the quarterbacks out here. Since now he's light years better than Tampa Bay, and I think this is going to be proven here. So give me the Bengals laying the three
3: and a half for the second pick. Todd Bowles isn't a good coach, it turns out, huh? Yeah, yeah clearly not. That's all I got on that, man. I hate Bowles.
1: <laughs> all right. That's pick two. Pick three. This is one where I hate picking the, the Chargers. I think this is the perfect spot for the Chargers to a Charger here. I'm going to take the Titans getting three points on the road in this game. Tennessee got embarrassed in Philly last week. But Philly's a much, much better team than the L.A. Chargers. I know they're healthy now, but Tennessee has this formula. They can run the football. L.A. has trouble stopping the run. That's a big issue. I think the Chargers also very high on themselves after that win. And they got this whole mojo about we're going to get in the playoffs. We're going to be the 7th seed. We're going to get J- Herbert there. I think the wheels come off the wagon a bit here. I think Tennessee bounces back. Jazz will starting to breathe down there next year. Pick up a big win. Give me the Titans getting
3: three for the last pick of the week. Yeah, man. Uh, listen, I really res- respect Mike Vrabel like crazy. Um, I think he's a phenomenal head coach. I think the Chargers are coming off a crazy high of a, of a game. Um, and also our Jets need this, so we definitely need the Titans to step it up here. Um, Thirty-three is definitely more than a fair number. Um, I-, I like that one.
1: Alright, so to reset the picks here, Martino is going with the Pats, laying one in Vegas against the Raiders, getting those flexed out on NFL. football. The Jaguars le- getting four and a half at home against the Cowboys. The Eagles laying nine in Chicago against the Bears. My picks, I am taking our New York Jets, laying a point at home against the Detroit Lions. The Bengals laying three and a half in Tampa against the Buccaneers. And the Titans getting three in Los Angeles against the Chargers. Those are your picks here for week number 15. And We are starting to wind it down. Three weeks left of the season. I'm going to be joined next week by good friend of ours, Joe D'Aloisio, to do some picks for week 16. Joe D's had an amazing football season. I'm sure of it. And he gets to watch his team on Christmas.
3: Oh, my God. He's going to be such a Grinch, man. It's going to be so funny. I I know. I feel bad for him. I feel feel bad for him because it's just they wasted another Hall of Fame quarterback the same same exact way they did it before. So, it's... It's crazy. You also, you look how garbage the NFL Christmas games are this year,
1: too, between that Dolphin Packer game, Broncos, Rams in the middle, and then Bucks, Cardinals at night. And now that Kyler Murray's out for the season, the NFL really flunked this.
3: The NFL is not good at scheduling. I'm no. sorry. They're just not. And I, I mean that across the board. I don't think I've really liked a full slate on Thanksgiving in, in years. I just, they're committed to too many garbage franchises. Um, and it's nothing to do against the Cowboys. I think you always got to have the Cowboys. But why did the Lions have this? Why do why did we got to we got to take them out, man? It's like putting these Knicks, uh, Knicks teams on Christmas Day when they were clearly going for the lottery, like and no young superstar, like enough of the nonsense, like get them out of here, get some real games on TV. That's what's going to help you. Um, and then also like the London games are also stupid. I think the NFL is really bad at scheduling and people don't want to admit it.
1: Yeah, I think that my problem with the scheduling is not even just that. It's sort of like that they have this mentality, like, "Oh, certain teams are going to be good. We have to give you them all at once." Like we got the Broncos four out of six weeks in primetime earlier in the year. <laughs> we got the Colts like three primetime games down the stretch. Patriots four weeks in a row. Can we spread these out a little bit that way? If a team flunks, you're not stuck
3: with them for like the entire like month of December. I also don't understand why they assumed Russell would be that good. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, Russell attracts that many viewers on TV? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm sorry. I just you know to, to Russell Wilson doesn't move me like that personality wise, but uh, yeah, I mean,
1: oh well, poor Joe D, yeah, poor Joe D, and we'll talk wrap up here two soccer and want to get your pick your take on here. Number one, we had we talked last week about whether Greg Burrell should be back, back as the uh, U.S. Uh, head coach for the 2026 cycle here, and this is before this whole controversy came out with the whole Gio Reina thing. You want to wait? i want to get your take on that?
3: Yeah, so the Gio Reyna thing is basically a timeline of World Cup tournaments about the to start. Greg Burhalter tells Gio Reyna that he is not going to be as much in his plans as Gio thought he would, um, which basically is an admission of his own incompetence as a manager, tactically. So that led Gio to being very frustrated. So after the first game against Wales, uh, he just basically... Through a hissy fit, poor attitude, I don't defend that. Um and through shin guards because he wasn't subbed down. Do I think that it was a horrendous sub by Greg Berhalter? Yes. Do I think Gio deserved the uh, had the right to be mad? Absolutely. But should he have had that attitude? No. He should have just kept to himself. Um and then he apparently had a poor attitude in training and that I also can't defend either. I just he hasn't done anything yet to warrant that despite him being more talented than anyone on this team. Um, and then again, if it was handled in-house, great. Awesome. Handle it in-house. We saw him get more minutes in the knockout stage and then Iran. Um, but then we're sitting here at the same time having to hear about it publicly. Why? Why was that brought up? And why was it by the manager? Why did the manager alienate and backstab one of his own players? But the player now has to readdress it, not only within the dressing room and then publicly. So why is why is the manager supposed to be like this? This isn't the first time Berhalter has beef with players. Um, and, to, and, and again, the board was voting on keeping Gio there. So it was 13 to 12 to keep Gio. And, and he was alluding to he was very close to being sent home. And Gio to clarify, that's not true. And Greg Burhalter apparently had this policy saying that we deal with these things in house. And then Greg clearly goes and alienates it and airs it out for the public. And people are making excuses. Oh, well, hey, you know, like this was going to get out anyways. Who cares if it gets out? If it gets out anonymous, whatever. That's anonymous. But if someone like the manager is saying this publicly and then saying, oh, well, you know, like I'm not going to say the guy's name, but I will literally describe him to a T. Like that's that's embarrassing this kid is 19 20 years old. why would he why would you want that type of friction? and then again deserves to lose lose his job over strictly thinking that Geo shouldn't have had the minutes. did you we couldn't score and we didn't want to put on our best attacking player and we're putting MLS players on before him. No disrespect to the MLS or their players there's a drastic difference playing in the UEFA Champions League and playing in the MLS. And one that is so clearly more talented than anyone else. Like it's putting Quentin Grimes in in the NBA finals over RJ Barrett. It's that stupid. It's that stupid. Um so yeah, that's 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 the gist of it. Um ultimately I think Burr Halter keeps his job for the time being. I think he has to have a really poor Copa America if he's playing if he's managing by then, and also like yeah. They get knocked because it's going to be inexcusable at that point, considering what the standards are. He just met like expectations and they should have won in the situations they were in, you know, like uh, to me, I don't I am not fond of him. And I think this World Cup exposed him. And if Team USA wants to take their heights to the new or they want to get to new levels, new heights, they got to sack him. They got to get rid of him.
1: Yeah, you're not going to argue with me on that. And number two mm-hmm. here, we're recording on Tuesday after uh, Croatia got knocked out by Argentina. Argentina gets the final here. Their opponents are either France, the defending champ, or Morocco, the Cinderella's team of the tournament, who knocked out the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, and Portugal, and is the first African nation ever to reach the semifinals of the World Cup here. So is there a chance the run continues? Is France just too much for them?
3: I mean, listen, Morocco is the first team to not allow an open play goal this deep into the tournament since Italy um in 2006 so think about that like an open play goal it was an own goal that's the only goal they've allowed in now they're going up against the best player in the world one of the best att- the best attack left in the tournament i i don't think morocco pull it off i think france did that good and also my prediction prior to the tournament was that of argentina over france so i want to look good here uh, uh not unlike brazil who were pathetic by the way um I I I will say it's going to be France versus Argentina.
1: Yeah. Who would you think would win that game?
3: Argentina? I I have to go with what I picked, but I mean, France is, France is just the best, man. We'll see. They're also potentially missing Upa Meccano and Adrian Rabiot. So two starters, they've been sick apparently. So we'll see if they're able to start. If not, um, I think the, the real, Quality of France shines again. They have two incredible backups. But Morocco's no joke. That game, if that game goes to penalties, man, does, like, it. Morocco's in favor there. And that's how that might have to get dragged out. But, again, killing Mbappe, best in the world. But I got to – listen, man, Messi, Messi winning this is just, like, one of the most unique and all-time type of moments. Um, if you if, – like, the way Messi – where to win this is like Tiger winning the masters just a couple years ago that you didn't need any validation that he's the greatest that you've ever seen, but it just reaffirms it. And it's the ultimate prize and you know, it would mean so much to them. And I think that's like, you know, on how incredible that was for Tiger. That's one of the all time sports moments that like, there, there are very few moments that top Tiger Woods winning the masters in terms of emotion. Messi, like, Messi like this is like if LeBron James was drafted to the Chicago Bulls and struggled, like got the media scrutiny like he did just to win his first ring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's that, it's that to, you're living in a shadow of a ghost, man. Like, and to pull this off, he's the best player of the tournament besides Mbappe. Mbappe's in his prime or about to enter his prime. Messi's 35 and a half doing this. That's It's, it's, it's incredible. I don't know how much of the games you've watched. or I've watched a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, I meant like strictly Argentina, sorry. So like just Argentina, like, man, what, what he did today, that assist was, I'm sorry for rambling on this point, but he's, it's, it's stupid. Like it's, uh, it's the craziest thing to ever see because he was 16. It was like a God given talent. And like the kid just never stopped nonstop. And, and he hasn't like, he's aged amazing. There hasn't been a better player at the age of 35 ever. And that's arguably the case for him through age 16 to now. That's disgusting.
1: Yeah, it certainly is, Martino. Thanks a lot. time. really appreciate it. If you want to keep on social media so you can, they can follow your coverage of the rest of the World Cup and beyond, how can I do that?
3: Yeah. You could just follow me at Martino Puccio. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. That's also on, uh, TikTok as well. So appreciate all the follows and views that everyone gives me. And, uh, it's been fun talking on here again and getting back into the betting world of stuff. Cause, uh, it's a lot more American sports from here on out for me.
1: Absolutely. Martino. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Take care, Mike. The two minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time here, and that's why I point out one thing. It's no secret in sports that a lot of these free agents across the leagues, they leave their new teams based on who pays them the most. It's a tale as old as time. Seeing the introductory press conferences is always fascinating. See how these players spin their choices towards saying it was for the money. We've heard the Colorado school system in the past. We've heard, you know, great team. We've heard, I like the city. I, we've heard... These are the best fans around. I want to play in front of them. Jacob deGrom had a fun one last week. He left the Mets to talk about this for a five-year deal with $185 million of Texas. He took it to a new level. Let's listen to what Jacob DeGrom had to say at his opening press conference with Texas, talk about why he chose to go there instead of, you know, re-sign with a team that won 101 games last year. Here's what Jake had to say.
3: Um, you know, going through the process, um, you you have you set up meetings with teams and whenever I found out the the Rangers were one of those teams. I was I was really excited, and then um, you know getting on a call with uh, Cy and Boch, um, you know hearing the vision of, of what the Rangers want to do, and and ultimately getting to meet Ray and and the vision here and bringing uh, a World Series here. Uh, that's the goal: winning a, a World Series. And these guys all had that same vision, and it, it lined up with what what I wanted to do. So um, you know. It was, uh, they showed a ton of interest right in the start and the feelings were mutual and just very happy to be here.
1: Okay. Pardon my French here. That is a load of bullshit. Straight up bullshit from Jacob deGrom. It's ridiculous that these ads got the most ludicrous reads to avoid saying they left for the highest bid. Saying that the Texas Rangers, who won 68 games last year, they share a division with the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners, both of whom made the playoffs. The Astros won the World Series. Think about this for a second. It's just absurd. Saying that they have the vision. The 68-game winning Rangers had the vi- better vision to win the World Series than the 101-win Mets with the billionaire owner who will spend on a dime just because he wants to win right now. Yeah, okay. You believe that? I got a bridge over in Brooklyn to go sell you. They left for the highest bid. It's simple as that. Jacob DeGrom got more money from the Mets, and he's also playing in most of his games in Texas where it's no state income tax. There is no shame in that. You do not have to lead with, I got paid more, but you can make it a positive. You can say that, you know, I heard you're taking the ground saying, I'm happy the Texas Rangers showed how much they valued me and how important they feel I am to their future. You can say your family fell in love with the area that you want to live in Texas, which is obviously a lot different than women in New York. They say you want to help your new team win. Don't bullshit us. Don't tell us it's about winning a title when you leave a 100-win team for a 68-win team. Come on, Jake. We're not stupid. We know what the deal is. Don't lie to us. Don't patronize us. And with that, I want to end the show. I want to thank my guests. First, Tim Ryder for coming on the podcast to talk all about the Mets situation. A lot of fun stuff happening with the message winner. All like Martina Puccio doing the Week 15 NFL picks. Like, work stuff like this podcast, including my look at uh, what the Yankees should do next after signing Aaron Judge. And hint, it's hint, hint. It starts with a certain lefty uh, pitcher who's a free agent. Check out the blog over at justinsuffering.wordpress.com. We'll check out the Sky Guys podcast. We are in off-season mode over there after Andor is done. We are doubling back as week. Brand new episode coming out. Justin that feed covering Tales of the Jedi, the six episode uh, short series, animated shorts, very well done. But you only hear it on the Sky Guys feed. You want to check that out. Make sure you are listening on the all the podcast platforms at the top of the show. Just search for the Sky Guys podcast there. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And with that, we'll wrap up this week's podcast. Come next week, we have a holiday special coming up here. I promised the extended cut of the Jeff Perlman interview. That is going to be out in that podcast. Remember to tell Jeff Perlman in October. We're going to have the full cut here. We're going to have some more fun stuff going on here as well. All of our fun holiday traditions as well. But until then, I'm going to have be a better week than Raiders fans.
0: Come on and meet the Mets. Meet the Mets Step right up And greet the Mets Bring your kids